The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio. Elijah Herbal in for Chris Schmidt today. Got a lot to get into as the Huskers had their first padded practice today. Looking forward to the rest of fall camp. And that starts today. I know there was technically practices uh, late last week and early this week, but it doesn't really start until the pads start popping. And the pads started popping today. Looking forward to getting into the show today. So I got a, a packed show planned for you. Mike Babcock coming up here in about 15 minutes as we're going to dive into uh, one of the major themes at the press conference yesterday, which was uh, stopping the run. Uh, Huskers allowing 5.7 yards per carry in conference play last year. That is a number that needs to go down. Excited to get Mike's take on that. Coming up a little later in the hour, 440, Mike Schuhart's going to join us. Wilderness Ridge Golf Pro going to talk a little bit. We didn't get to talk to, uh, to Mike last week. So we're going to be talking to him a bit today. It's our first time talking to him since the U.S. Open at Winged Foot. Want to get his take on uh, Bryson DeChambeau's big win there and uh, preview the the Sanderson Farms Championship, which is coming up this weekend. Not a lot of huge names in the field this weekend, but we still want to get Mike's take on the golf course down there in Jackson, Mississippi. Coming up next hour, Brad Edwards, ESPN College Football Insider. You hear him on ESPN's uh, radio's college game day on Saturday mornings. Excited to get Brad's thoughts on the wild weekend of football and how it could impact uh, the Big Ten as they are looking uh, or they are coming back here within a month now. Also going to talk with Jacob Padilla next hour. Get uh, some Husker basketball thoughts on him as uh, two Husker players today met with the media Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen and uh, get his thoughts on that as well as uh, get into that preseason non-conference tournament that the Huskers will be hosting at the end of November. And uh, last but not least, going to get into some NBA Finals today as Game 1 between the Lakers and Heat tips off tonight at 8 o'clock Central Time. So, as you can tell, packed show. It's just me in today. Damon Barr had class. Will Wilson is working with a group on a class project and he's got work tonight uh, down at the Tavern on the Square. Uh, so he could not make it in either. So it is me, the one-man band, running you through it. I'm a man of many talents. I can produce, I can host, and I can do it at the same time. And I'm going to prove it to you today. Uh, but before we get into the show, uh, just some sad news to report to you. Uh, my thoughts are with uh, the Schmidt family and uh, Chris as they lost uh, Chris's father last night. I had a heart attack over the weekend and uh, he passed away last night. Chris out the rest of the week as he mourns the loss of his father. My, my deepest condolences are out to the Schmidt family and to, uh, to Chris. Just a, a horrible situation, uh, especially as football's ramping up and things start looking up uh, and then something horrible like that happens. So my thoughts are, are with Chris and the Schmidt family. With that being said, though, show must go on. And uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Huskers back 
fully padded practices today. Uh, and with the fully padded practices, this came with the, the stipulation. Uh, the Big Ten uh, released that they had to have all the Big Ten teams with the rapid testing available on their campuses for the players. That has now been accomplished. Today was the date that the uh, the Big Ten set out as their uh, their goal to get all the Big Ten teams back in padded practices and all the Big Ten teams were uh, padded up this morning. Still a bit of an acclimation period for the Huskers. Pads are popping, but not to their full ex- ex- fullest extent at the moment as uh, there still is some warm-up you got to get going and, uh, and doing with that. Uh, I know back when I played high school football, uh, here in Lincoln, Lincoln Southeast, the acclimation period was, uh, was set up for us where we had to do uh, some shorter practices, less conditioning when you're in the full pads, and you don't get to go uh, full tackling and taking to the ground. But with that being said, it is still much more contact than you get with padless practices. JoJo Doman, uh, we played some cuts from him yesterday as he met with the media. He, he talked in that press conference yesterday about the protocols that the, uh, the Huskers are carrying out as they go through fall camp to make sure that they are remaining COVID safe. Uh, that's one of the concerns of the Big Ten is that as you get closer to full contact and, and you do start tackling, uh, you're, you're battling in the trenches, uh, you're doing full scrimmages at practice, uh, that there's a, a higher likelihood that COVID can spread. I'm not sure how true that is, but that is the concern from the Big Ten. So there is a full regiment of protocols that the uh, the Huskers have in place uh, in order to limit the spread and to keep this uh, Husker football season on track. Here's Jojo Doman talking about what protocols they have in place uh, on a daily basis for the Husker football players. I mean, we have to fill out a survey on any of the symptoms that we feel before we even get to the door. And then once we get to the door, uh, we have to sanitize and get our temperature, um, wear masks. As for the daily rapid testing, that comes a little bit later in the day. Jojo Doman says it's around dinner time. We do that around dinner time after post-practice. Uh, coaches go at a certain time, players go at another. So it's honestly hats off to all our medical staff that have to deal with this and um, show up to work and do all the extra stuff that they didn't sign up for. So those are the protocols that are in place for the Huskers. You got to make sure that you don't have any symptoms whenever you walk in the door for the day. They get your uh, temperature taken. You're wearing masks around the building until you get out to practice. Uh, and then uh, when you get done with the early classes for the day, you do your rapid testing and you, you have your results for the next morning to make sure you are COVID negative before you enter the building for the next day, all of which seems reasonable. Uh, I know just as a college student myself, that's a lot more protocols that are in place for the, the, the general college student walking around campus. And, uh, and at the moment, there has been zero community spread in classrooms at UNL when just a mask is being worn. That's the only protocol in place. Those Huskers wearing the masks around the training facility, making sure they're not catching it there. Uh, it seems to me that the most likely place that they can catch it is practice uh, F. The players are no longer wearing masks. You're in that close contact, but that's where the, the antigen testing comes in. Uh, the rapid testing, making sure they get those results back quickly. When you look at the uh, the antigen testing, you can see how it worked in the NFL this past weekend as a couple members of the Tennessee Titans tested positive and the uh, facility quickly shut down. I'm going to be interested to see uh, how the Titans respond and uh, and get back. Their game on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers has already been postponed. Either Monday night or Tuesday night, that one will be played. How awesome would Tuesday night football be? And I, I this sounds uh, like it's a bit contradictory after what I said yesterday where I said uh, I don't even care about Thursday night football and that Monday night football has lost its appeal. Uh, but with that being said, a, a limited 
run of Tuesday night football. Nothing happens on Tuesday nights except maybe some wacky presidential debates. Going to avoid that topic uh, today. The presidential debates don't want to get into politics. Uh, I think we can all agree that that debate last night uh, was just hard to watch at times. And that, that's all I'll say about the, uh, the presidential debate last night. Next Tuesday night, though, looking at maybe getting some NFL action. Uh, maybe not as entertaining as the presidential debate. But uh, Steelers and Titans, just the, the weirdness of Tuesday night football. How uh, interesting that could be. That The potential for that is, is very cool. But the, the, the Tennessee Titans, they shut down their facility once they got the, uh, the couple positive tests back. They removed those guys from the team. And then they are now going through the process of retesting everyone within their organization. Making sure that everyone still in and around the organization is negative once that has occurred and once they have gone and re-sanitized the team facility making sure everything is clear there they can get those uh the players who have tested negative as well as the staff members who have tested negative back into the fold back into practice and i gotta assume that's what the huskers are going to be looking at doing as well because positive tests are going to happen whether it's at Nebraska or whether it's within the Big Ten, the question is going to be how can the Big Ten respond? Because when you have eight games in eight weeks, you can't really go and postpone a game and say, oh, well, we'll move this back to a bye week because there are no bye weeks for the Huskers this year. So the Huskers are obviously taking the necessary steps to ensure that they are able to complete a full eight-game slate this fall. Obviously, first game coming up October 24th. Looking forward to that. But there's also people working behind the scenes. Team cardiologist Matthew Baker. He's with uh, the Brian Hart Institute uh, in the uh, Brian Health System. Uh, he's working with the team. And, and he spoke yesterday uh, a little about what the... Uh, that the team is doing what the uh, the medical staff behind the scenes is doing to ensure that when there is a positive COVID test, that the players can return to competition safely. Everything the Big Ten is asking us to do, we're going to be able to do, and we're going to be able to do it quickly to make sure that these guys are not just getting on the field, but getting on the field safely. We have technicians working extra days to get everybody the testing that they need done, uh, and we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure things are moving smoothly, and it's not always the case everywhere else. For everybody who has a previous diagnosis of COVID, we are getting lab work so say they're getting lab work done for those guys with the previous tests, uh, the people who have tested positive for COVID. Uh, and that is obviously related to the heart. This is the team cardiologist um, because the concerns of myocarditis were so huge. It was one of the big factors that led the Big Ten to cancel the season. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the news about that former Florida State basketball player, uh, Ojo, uh, his first name is eluding me right now, Michael Ojo, I believe. Uh, he was playing overseas in Europe. He had a previous COVID-19 positive diagnosis. He recovered, made it back to practice, but he was suffering from myocarditis as a result of COVID-19, uh, and he collapsed at, at practice and unfortunately passed away. So that was a big concern to the Big Ten. Uh, less than a week later, the Big Ten decided to postpone the fall season. Now, these cardiologists are allowed to work together, uh, the Big Ten institutions coming together and uh, sharing results uh, making sure that they are keeping the entire uh, crop of Big Ten student athletes safe during this weird COVID time where, you know, you're not 100% sure what all the side effects could be uh, and whether or not myocarditis is a, a big concern to you. Uh, it, it is a big concern to the Big Ten, and they are taking the necessary steps. One little interesting tidbit from that soundbite, which I, I thought was interesting, was that uh, he said that the Huskers are doing stuff that maybe the other universities are not doing, making sure... Uh, that they, they're keeping their players safe. Uh, so that shows to me that the Huskers uh, are taking this very seriously and they care very much about doing things safely. Speaking of doing things safely, 
the city hall uh, and the Lincoln City Council are set to review two new ordinances for game days coming up this fall. I know we had a caller call in last week and ask what uh, will businesses be doing downtown uh, during this football season. Will uh, without tailgating, uh, what will people in Lincoln be able to do? They are now looking at two new ordinances. As I said, uh, typically special events downtown uh, require a special permit in order to close down a city block in order to increase outside seating and that is not allowed on game days but uh, the city council is looking at removing that ban uh, this upcoming year it's related to traffic flow you need to get traffic going through downtown on game days but because no one is sitting in the stands this year they are going to look to remove that ordinance so that bars and uh, businesses downtown can expand their outdoor seating uh, and they can get people in safely with social distancing so that you can still go down and get a game day atmosphere on game day. Even though you're not down at the stadium, you can go down and enjoy what the businesses have to offer. Uh, And I think that's just an awesome idea uh, as businesses are still going to be hurting downtown this fall with Husker football, uh, maybe enough to save them. But now with these two new ordinances, which they will be voting on next week, uh, once they vote on it, it would go into effect immediately. Uh, So these businesses would be allowed to to have more fans you would be allowed to go downtown and safely dine uh drink do what you will on game days and you know patronize us or uh, local businesses get them business you can enjoy your game day they can get business from it It, it's a win-win in my book uh as of right now we don't have any uh stats that would indicate that people are coming in from out of town to come and enjoy the game day so it's going to be on lincolnites to get downtown and enjoy the city. These new ordinances, which uh, I can only assume will be passed. Uh, Husker football is king in Lincoln and keeping the businesses afloat is also king in Lincoln. Uh, so I believe that these ordinances, they make sense and they would allow me as well as you other Husker football fans to go downtown and enjoy just the game day experience, which was so close to being taken from us this year. The Huskers have fought so strongly and valiantly to get that back uh, for us fans of Husker football. We are going to be allowed to go watch the games downtown. Uh, I am looking forward to that, assuming that these ordinances are passed next week. Last thing to get into, just a reminder that Mike Babcock's coming up after the break because we're going to talk some Husker defense, stopping the run, getting some pressure, some things that have been so noticeably absent from Husker defenses this year. Uh, but we do have some news today regarding Minnesota star wide receiver Rashad Bateman. Uh, You remember, he's just such a star. He was the Big Ten wide receiver of the year last year. He had caught 60 passes for 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns last year. He's only a sophomore. Uh, If you remember a couple months ago, he opted out. News today is that he will be opting back into the college football season. This is now confirmed via Minnesota, uh, PJ Fleck, and Rashad Bateman's own personal Twitter account. Rashad Bateman will be back next year. For the Gophers, and you know the Huskers matching up with the Gophers uh, in week eight in December, and the Gophers have a big weapon back on their offense, uh, and their offense killed Nebraska last year. Their passing attack killed Nebraska last year. Their running attack killed Nebraska last year. Just about everything Minnesota did killed Nebraska last year. So every weapon that they get back uh, makes me nervous for week eight. Obviously, that's still a long way away, and there's a lot of things that can change uh, between now and then. Uh, but Rashad Bateman, star wide receiver of Minnesota, is opting back in. The other news of the day regarding opt-ins and opt-outs is Penn State star linebacker Micah Parsons. I remember him down at the Friday Night Lights camp at Nebraska a few years ago uh, as a defensive lineman at the time. 
outside linebacker kind of hybrid type he's now moved to inside linebacker for Penn State because of his athleticism and speaking of that athleticism he was down at that Friday night lights camp burning some of the best cornerbacks in the country one-on-one on routes they lined up Micah Parsons that was receiver he was running streak routes he was running post routes he was running hitches he was running everything and beating some of the best cornerbacks in the country this guy is a super freak athlete and it was announced today via Penn State that he will not be suiting back up for the Nittany Lions this year his opt-out uh, there's too many hoops to jump through if you will too many roadblocks in the way to get him back on the football field this year he will not be playing for Penn State this year or for that week four matchup between the Huskers and the Nittany Lions uh, as a college football fan this saddens me because Micah Parsons is one of the best talents in the Big Ten if not in the country he's a likely top 10 pick next year we're not going to be seeing him uh, this upcoming year for Penn State but as a Husker fan couldn't be more excited that Micah Parsons not be playing for the Huskers gives the Huskers that much better of a chance Coming up after the break, Mike Babcock. Excited to get his thoughts. Tail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back in, it's a hump day edition of Hail Varsity Radio. A happy Wednesday to you as the Huskers begin padded practices for the first time in the fall. Uh, it's, it's a big day. Exciting day for Husker fans as the game day uh, week one against Ohio State nears closer and closer. Excited to talk with Mike Babcock, Husker historian and author for Hale Varsity Magazine. Mike, uh, it's just exciting to have Husker football back in our lives. Kind of feels like it's a return to normalcy. How you doing today? Yeah, it is. It is, uh, uh, Elijah. Uh, I, I wasn't sure. Did, did they, are they for sure going in pads today? Uh, I, the news from Ohio State was that they're in pads today, and uh, the pictures coming out from the Husker athletes show that they were in pads today. We're not sure how much contact uh, okay. w- that, that was involved today, but it does appear that the Huskers were in pads for the first time in the fall. Okay, good, because the way this thing's going, you never know what uh, from one minute to the next whether they're going to do what uh, what they say they're going to do or not. But uh, that's good. I, th- I think you got to get you got to get into pads at some point. You're getting too close to the I mean, I know it's three weeks out yet, but uh, you got to get uh, you got to get padded up, I think, in in preparation for for when those games start. Yeah, and especially with the issues that the Huskers have had stopping the run in the past few years, uh, and just the issues on defense, uh, it feels like ever since that uh, Bo Pelini uh, was fired, it feels like it's important to get into pads, get tackling. Uh, y- nothing's more frustrating as a Husker football fan than those leaky yardage, uh, where you think you got the the running back down for a one-yard gain, and then he breaks a tackle or two, and it's a seven- or eight-yard gain. Uh, so I, I, that's kind of what I want to get into today, is that whole topic of stopping the run. That was an issue in the press conference yesterday that was brought up a few times, uh, was that the Huskers had 5.7 yards per carry allowed on their defense last year entering Big Ten play. And, and Mike, how important do you think that stopping the run is uh, in terms of just the overall health of a defense? I, I just think in general, uh, that's, that, you know, I, I always say that the uh, Defensively, you've got to be able to stop the run, and and on offense, you've got to be able to run the ball. You you know those guys up front are so important. So um, Nebraska needs to obviously, as as you've said, uh, improve in in the run defense. That's 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 where it starts, um, and, and particularly in the Big Ten, you've got to be able to to deal with that. So um, that's that's important. It's it's critical, I think, to any kind of success that Nebraska wants to have is to stop that run. 
How important do you think the issue of stopping the run has been when you look at Nebraska's transition to the Big Ten? I mean, it's been such a, a tough transition over the past decade. Uh, started out all right, but then as the years have gone on, uh, it just feels like the Huskers have almost gotten worse and worse at stopping the run. Uh, and, and when you're in the Big Ten, you, you just can't do that, right? Well, no, you can't, and that's the thing. I think I think you're being aware of it is one thing. Being able to do it is another. And I think that's you know that's kind of where. Um, Nebraska has been at. Nebraska knew what it was going to, what it was going to be required of it. You know, going into the Big Ten because it was a physical league, and uh, the physicality is a, is something still that I think Nebraska is, is starting to, at least trying to catch up with the uh, the physicality and and maybe this extra time that uh, the players have had to affect it all is, is going to pay some dividends as well. See, Mike, most of my life watching Husker football uh, since I've been, you know, about 12 years old uh, has been the Huskers in the Big Ten. And you have a lot more experience watching the Huskers in the Big 12. And I know that the run game used to be a lot more prevalent in college football as a whole, uh, especially uh, just within the Big Ten. uh, Running the football has always kind of been the staple. But when you look back through the years at Husker football, uh, back into the Big 8 and the Big 12 years, do you remember any years that have been just as much of a struggle as we've seen in the past few years uh, in, in stopping the run? Well, uh, no, not necessarily uh, that, that I recall. I mean, I've looked at I've looked at numbers before I before I did it, but uh, you know, it, it it was difficult. Nebraska had problems stopping Oklahoma. You know, when Oklahoma uh, until Nebraska made some adjustments in, ironically, until Nebraska made some adjustments in his offense, uh, because as Nebraska went to a more option oriented offense. And you're seeing that every day in practice on the defense. Um, it makes your defense better against the run. But Oklahoma, when it ran that wishbone, Nebraska had problems with that um, until it started to uh, uh, prepare for those kinds of things in practice going against its own offense, uh, if that makes any sense. I mean, that was one of the things that I think was was important about Nebraska uh, changing its uh, – Offense was that it made the defense better, and it wasn't a. It it got to the point where uh, until Nebraska made that significant change, um, Tom Osborne decided that hey, you know, uh, even throughout the season, we need to spend a little practice time on the wishbone, even though we're not playing wishbone teams, um, because we're going to face against Oklahoma for sure, and you got to be ready for that. And the running the running game was was an, was essential. Obviously, there were games where Oklahoma hardly threw the ball at all. Um, it was very run oriented, and uh, you know that was that. So stopping the run, yeah, there were times when Nebraska had a problem stopping the run when Oklahoma ran that wishbone. Well, what what do you make of this the difference in? college football offenses now it used to be so much you run the ball to set up the pass and now it's you run the or you pass the ball uh to set up the run for a lot of teams and with run pass options it almost feels like that the combination of being able to stop the run in the pass is harder than it's ever been would you agree with that yeah well i think it is and i you know i i always think that uh, or i've always thought that college football goes in cycles you know that uh, that you'll that you'll you'll come back around but you know the, the the offenses are so diversified, and there's so much to be concerned about. And I think some of that has to do with analytics. You know, people look at numbers and uh, for just about everything. Um, 
but it's it's really difficult on the on the defense um, the way these offenses play, and it, you know some of that is too that the uh, the the athletes are getting bigger and stronger and faster. No question about that. And uh, boy, it, it it really puts a lot of pressure on your defense uh, in a, in a lot of ways. But but I still think it comes down to initially you have to be able to stop the run because if you have, if you can't stop the run. And if the team lines up and starts pounding you, um, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned it earlier, we saw what happened in the Minnesota game last year. Um, both things are going to be a problem. Got, got some stats here in front of you you might appreciate. And that's that since that 2009 season when the Huskers had the number one defense in the nation, uh, the Huskers have allowed uh, less than 150 yards rushing per game only once. That was in 2015. Uh, but in that same year, they also allowed almost 300 yards uh, through the air per game. Uh, so even if the, the Huskers haven't been able to stop the run in the past 10 years, they, they haven't been able to stop the pass either. Uh, so that's kind of the next place I want to go, which is is pass rush. And the Huskers obviously haven't had the same sack totals that they have had uh, in my early lifetime. I remember back that 2009 defense had 44 sacks in a year. Uh, and, and now since then, uh, since, let's see, 2015, the Huskers haven't eclipsed 30 sacks in a season once. Uh, so what do you think the Huskers need to do this next season in order to get more of a pass rush? Well, you know, for one thing, uh, 2009, they had that guy, what, what the? What was his name, Sue? Was it Sue? Uh, that, that might be right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. rings that's a bell. A, that's a pretty good play, and uh, Jared Crick was there. You know, I think pretty good place to start. Again, you're talking about the guys up front, the defensive line. Um, and an exceptional one, and in, in, uh, certainly in uh, in Dominican Sioux. But um, yeah, that that's that's one of the things. And Nebraska needs pressure um, because of the way that it plays defense. That's part of the defense that they brought here was an aggressive, attacking type of a defense. And uh, I'm just writing a series, uh, you know, uh, for Tom's time every week, every Thursday, um, and we're up to the '93 season and. Through four games, four games through four games, Nebraska had 26 sacks. Okay, wow. last season Nebraska had 27. So, you know you got to you got to pick it up a little bit, and that you know that's I, I think again as as players get accustomed to Eric Shenander's defense, you know it's going to come. But yeah, you've got to get pressure. Exactly what you're saying. And uh, the numbers just haven't been there, and the, and the pressure just hasn't been what Nebraska wants. When you look at Eric Shenander's defense, uh, I remember watching down at UCF, he was able to get pressure with four or with five, uh, but then when they did bring blitzes, it felt like the blitzes got there just about every single time, and that hasn't been the story uh, for the Husker defenses within the past two years. So where do you think that, that pass rush needs to originate for this defense to be successful, uh, especially on second and long, third and long. Do you, do you think that the Huskers really need somebody up front who can be a game wrecker and who can rush the passer all on his own? Or, or do you think that the Huskers can do enough just with scheme and with blitzes and with uh, you know sending extra guys uh, as opposed to just the, the four up front? Well, no, I, th- I, don't think you need to, I don't think you need the one guy, uh, although it certainly would be nice uh, to have a Ndamukong Sue type player in there, but uh, or or uh, Demario Williams, uh, you know, on the outside, or or uh, you know any number of guys that Nebraska's had um, to build around. But 
the system is important, and then you got to get some guys with some speed, and, and you got to be aggressive, and you got to be confident enough that that if if you are aggressive, that it's not going to hurt you in other ways. And again, that starts with I think being able to stop the run. You can't you can get too aggressive, and all of a sudden the team just running past you, um, and and you don't want that to happen. And and so that's you know those things go hand in hand I think. And do you have the right kinds of guys? Um, and you know, uh, JoJo Doman was one of the people that talked um, yesterday, and and uh, uh, I think that uh, you know he, he's a guy that can be a, a playmaker um, and 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 make this kind of system work. But but like you said, now it's going to be a group effort. You're going to have guys that are going to be able to do this. Um, but first concern is you got to be able to stop the run if you're going to be aggressive like that. Last thought, Mike, about 15 seconds. We saw the Huskers make a change of offensive coordinator in the offseason after those disappointing results from the offense last season. Do you think that if the Huskers' defense doesn't make a step this year, that Eric Shenander's job could be on the line? Well, no, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I, three years, this is the third year, and this is an odd third year. So, no, no, I don't think so at all. I, I think you, you've got to have time to, to get a system in place and then recruit to that system. They're just making the first steps towards doing that. Mike Babcock, Husker historian and author for Hale Varsity's with us. Mike, want to thank you for your time today, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay, great talking to you. Yeah, Be great safe. talking to you, Mike. It was Mike Babcock joining us on Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up after the break, Wilderness Ridge Golf Pro Mike Shuhart, as well as a chance for you to get a pair of tickets to SIP Nebraska this weekend at Haymarket Park. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. We're back in on a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We just heard from Husker historian and author for Hale Varsity Magazine, Mike Babcock. He had some uh, good takes on how the Huskers uh, have stopped the run in years past and how important that's going to be moving forward for this Huskers defense in 2020. Excited now to get some thoughts from Mike Shuhart. Mike's the Wilderness Ridge golf pro. Uh, so we're heading out to Wilderness Ridge right now to talk to Mike. Mike. Pretty uh, pretty nice day outside, uh, if I do say so myself. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's beautiful out. Sun's out. A little breezy, but not bad. Sun's out. Temperature's up. Good day for golf. Good day for golf, but uh, if I do if I do say I, I don't mean to to offend you here, but I think it's a better day for football as the, uh, the Huskers yeah. got back into full pads this morning as they're ramping up uh, towards a week one showdown with Ohio State. Uh, and, and Mike, with all this news about Husker football now coming down the wire, it kind of feels like we're getting back to normal, and uh, just just how doubtful were you that this season would get going, and what are your thoughts now that we are finally, finally getting fall camp going? That's fantastic. You know, I didn't think there was any way we'd ever have a season. You know, the way things were and the kind of the environment that we're in, but things got changed around a little bit. Looks like we're going to try to play some football. Hopefully we can get some games in, and we can get eight games in anyway. You know, and COVID doesn't kind of put a damper on that. 
Yeah, and Mike, I feel like I can finally start asking you some uh, some Husker football questions because it felt a little wrong to ask the, the golf pro Husker football questions when you weren't <laughs> even sure if, uh, if football is going to be back. But, but I feel like I can ask you now, when you're looking at this 2020 Huskers team, uh, are there any individuals that are, are sticking out to you as guys you're really looking forward to watching this year? Well, Wandell, of course. I mean, he's a difference maker with what he showed last year another year under his belt, more experience. I mean, putting him in the right situations. I think he can be a super special player. And Adrian, of course, I think he's going to have a, a breakout year. You know, struggled a little bit last year, but I think he's a little hungry, learned a lot from that, and I think he'll have a really good year. And a couple of new guys, you know, a couple of good wide receivers. You know, so he's got to replace Stanley, obviously, and Spielman. So I think there's some guys in there that I think we'll step up and and be pretty spectacular to watch, actually. Obviously, uh, the schedule is tough, especially early in the season. Uh, so, Mike, what would you consider a successful season for the Huskers this year record-wise? Oh, I, it's so unknown, but, uh, you know, I would think four and four. Is I'm something, with you, yeah. You know, is kind of like just looking at it on paper. But, again, you have no idea. You know, everybody is – a little bit leery about the schedule, but I'm actually excited about it because I'd rather play Ohio State first than last. Mm. I know that, and we got some. We got three of our four toughest games, you know, the first four weeks. So it's like if you're going to get somebody, you're probably going to get them early than you are late, you know. And if you've done your job in the off season and things are where they need to be, you have a you have a chance to upset somebody, you know, because that's that's why if you look in years past. Why does everybody schedule weak teams in the beginning of the season and not the best team in the country? You know, it gives them a chance to work on things, get things, uh, get their system in place, get their players very comfortable. And you hope as you work through the season, you get better as the season goes along. So, you know, I like our schedule, actually. I'm with you, and I'm with you on that four and four. If the Huskers can get back to 500 this season, it would kind of just with such a, a weird season that it is this year. I'm happy with that. Let's get back to 500. But Mike, we, we need to get into some golf. Uh, I know that's what you uh, what you know best. So okay. we, we didn't get a chance to talk with you last week about the U.S. Open. So I, I just want your general thoughts on uh, on the results we saw at the U.S. Open, and I mean, how beautiful was Winged Foot that weekend? Yeah, Winged Foot's incredible. I mean, that's my favorite golf course of all times, I and mean, it showed. I mean, it's just a beautiful venue. Um, great tournament. You know, it, it basically played like it was supposed to play. There was only two guys that were under par, and the two guys that broke par were two of the most powerful players out there, and that bodes well to them being successful there because they they hit it super long. They're super strong, so they can hit it out of the long rough and still get it in play, you know, where a lot of guys that don't have that power that they had are going to struggle trying to hit it out of that rough so it was an ad you know it was advantage to DeChambeau and Wolf just because they're two of the most powerful players and you need power in a U.S. Open to get it out of the rough first of all and as heavy as that rough was it was always going to be you know a struggle for most guys uh, yeah, Mike, I think we've all heard so much about DeChambeau since uh, the, the COVID quarantine ended uh, with his kind of weight gain journey as he was hitting the weights. Uh, but what was your thought on, uh, on Matthew Wolf? He's a young kid uh, out of Oklahoma State, if I, if I do remember correctly. And he really yep. impressed me with his performance. He, he faded a little bit on, uh, on Sunday, uh, but I thought he had a great performance through the whole weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's just a fabulous player. He's been a fabulous player all of his life. 
You know, he has a unique golf swing, but he's swung that way all of his life. You know, he was a super accomplished junior player, incredibly accomplished collegiate player. You know, he's just carrying that over into the pro ranks. I mean, he's he's going to be somebody that's going to be right there all the time. He's just too solid, too good at every aspect of his game. Mike, this next weekend, the PGA Tour is headed down to Mississippi as there's the uh, the Sanderson Farms Championship. It's taking place at the Country Club of Jackson uh, down in Jackson, Mississippi. Have you ever played that course, or, or do you know anything about the uh, Country Club of Jackson? I do. I've played that course many a times, so it's uh, it's going to be a little different because of the grass. You get down there, more Bermuda, so rough's a little bit different playing out of than you played at, at Wingfoot. Um but they'll shoot pretty low on it. They always do, you know, because it's just not as tough of a venue. But, you know, it'll you'll see some really low scores there. It's a bit of a, a depleted field this weekend. Some of the big names taking the weekend off. Uh, but, Mike, what type of player do you think is going to succeed uh, down at that country club in, uh, in Jackson? I, I think you'll see, again, the, the youth movement. You'll see some young guys. Um, that are just have been playing really good. Just not your regular names that you're used to hearing all the time, but they've had fabulous seasons. Um, I think you're going to see one of those guys, uh, Will Gordon, uh, Joaquin Neiman, uh, Abraham Answer. You know, guys that have played really good. You know, I think you're going to continue to see those guys uh, keep playing and playing well. You know, they're just getting more comfortable out there. The more they play, the better they get. So I think you'll see somebody like that played pretty well this week all right mike last thought before we let you go we only got about a minute left here um but i saw you posing on twitter yesterday with a uh, a new titleist driver that you got fitted yeah. for down at wilderness ridge tell us a little about that yeah so yesterday was kind of a fun day because titleist has their new uh tsi uh, driver out so uh this i'm a i'm a staff guy so i got fitted for that yesterday so um, we're going to do a fitting. We're going to have one of our Fit Fridays in October sometime, so everybody can come out and try the new stuff. So it's pretty, pretty gorgeous, pretty good. Sounds good, Mike. Any, any other deals or that people should know about uh, going down at Wilderness Ridge right now? Uh, just golfing, man. Weather's nice. Come out and play. We got our construction going, so you'll see a lot of construction out there. Getting ready for a new golf shop academy started working on our pool so a lot of fun stuff a lot of exciting stuff getting ready to happen out here it's mike shuhart wilderness ridge golf pro mike good getting caught up with you enjoy the golfing and uh, we'll, we'll get caught up next week all right you bet thanks for having me stay safe yeah thank you mike it's mike shuhart coming up after the break i'm going to give you your chance to get your pair of tickets for sip nebraska's event down at haymarket park this weekend it's hail varsity radio presented by the nebraska lottery and now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Wrapping up hour one here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It was a good hour as we had Mike Babcock with us about a half hour ago discussing uh, Huskers defense, stopping the run, getting a pass rush. Always good to get some expertise from Mike. He's been watching Husker football longer than anyone I know, uh, and he really knows his stuff. Also just heard from Wilderness Ridge golf pro Mike Shuhart breaking down uh, some U.S. Open, what's coming up on the PGA Tour this next weekend, and also his uh, his uh, Fit Fridays and, uh, and what you can be doing down at Wilderness Ridge here in the upcoming month. 
Uh, and, and he said, we've got a fit Friday coming up here in October. And uh, I looked at the calendar and I was, wow, it is the last day of September already. That's just shocking to me. September flew by. I mean, this whole year has flew by, if we're honest. Uh, just looking back to March when COVID started to now, it's just been a blur. Uh, but S- September especially, um, I know August just felt so incredibly slow when uh, football was canceled, uh, especially for me. August was tough. Now getting into September, we got some good news. Football's coming back, uh, and, and I, I'm feeling good. Getting into October, hope October is uh, even better than September. Quick reminder before we get into uh, September, Nebraska, that nearly 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska are not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, a seatbelt can reduce the risk of fatal injury by up to 60%. Your best defense in a crash is to buckle up. A message brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Transportation Highway Safety Office. Coming up next hour, we got Brad Edwards right after the break. That's coming up at 5.05. Brad is a college football insider, and uh, you hear him on ESPN uh, Radio's College Game Day. Uh, excited to get Brad's thoughts on this past weekend in the SEC and what it could mean uh, for the Huskers opening weekend against Ohio State and other Big Ten teams as well. Also got Jacob Padilla coming up here in about 30 minutes. Uh, 525, Jacob's joining us to talk some Husker basketball and we'll uh, we'll finish out the show talking a little bit of NBA Finals. Heat Lakers coming up tonight. Uh, both teams won pretty convincingly in the conference finals. Uh, LeBron looking to get another ring. Uh, he's been to the finals in nine out of the past 10 years. What a ridiculous stat. He hasn't converted on all of them. He always always hasn't had the teammates around him. Uh, but LeBron putting together a uh, definitely Hall of Fame resume and possibly a resume for the greatest ever. Uh, as for the Heat, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, a team of unlikely uh, unlikely winners coming together and getting the Heat to the finals. Have a full preview of that coming up next hour. Before we let you go this hour, it's your chance to win two free tickets to Sip Nebraska. Every single year, Sip Nebraska brings together a passionate community of local wine, craft beer, spirit enthusiasts to celebrate Nebraska's beverage industry. It's a full weekend of unlimited tastings from Nebraska's best wines, hard ciders, craft beers, and spirits. If you enjoy wine tastings, beer tastings, and spirit tastings, uh, it, it's you need to get down to Sip Nebraska. You'll spend the day playing lawn games, listening to live music from local bands, and touring all the delicious food vendors and craft brew wineries and distilleries. Uh, shop the artisan and craft vendors and test out their new fall activities like pumpkin painting. Uh, you can also, if you're a sports fanatic, watch football games on the 11 foot by 11 foot screen down there. Learn and have fun with the beverage vendors down there at Sip Nebraska. It's at Haymarket Park this weekend, Saturday from 1 until 10, and also Friday night uh, from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. It's going to be a good time. If you are interested, we're going to be taking caller number four. Caller number four, give us a call, 402-466-3776, 402-466-ESPN. It's $110 value. Each ticket is $65 a piece. We're giving away two. That's $110. Uh, get them now. Give us a call, 402-466-ESPN. Brad Edwards coming up after the break. Hail Varsity Radio. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. 
Back in, it's Hour 2 Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Uh, first of all, I just want to say congrats to Jeff for winning a free pair of tickets to SIP Nebraska this weekend. If you missed out, don't worry. We still have three more chances to win for you this week. SIP Nebraska this uh, Saturday at Haymarket Park uh, down in Lincoln. Uh, excited now to welcome in Brad Edwards. Brad is an ESPN College Football Insider. You hear him on uh, ESPN Radio's College Game Day. And, uh, and Brad, we got a full weekend of college uh, football and I just think it was awesome. It was so much fun to have the, the pageantry and the uh, the tradition of college football back. Uh, kind of felt like it was a return to normalcy uh, in in the fall. Correct. I mean, when when finally getting the SEC back was a big deal. I think nationally for those who are used to just turning on games at you know noon Eastern, eleven Central on a Saturday, and being able to have enough there that if one game gets out of hand, you just flip over and you find another one that's good. And we haven't had that, you know, for the first few weeks of this season. But finally, you know, with the SEC and then uh, a, a few, you know, random teams from other conferences that had just not been able to play yet for one reason or another, we had about 20 new teams step on the field. And, you know, it gave us enough games and, and, and a few really exciting games, by the way, especially exciting games involving ranked teams. that It made it feel a lot like what a, a Saturday in the fall is supposed to feel like. Yeah, Brett, one of the things I did miss, though, uh, was the fans. That, that's such a, a big part of college football is uh, the student sections and the bands and uh, and just the fans in the stands tailgating uh, and giving the environment. And, and I know it came through definitely on the TV broadcast. You could tell uh, that there's a little less energy in the stadiums. But do you think that it, it actually affected the teams themselves that were playing? We saw a lot of teams come out pretty flat in their week one performance, uh, especially in the SEC. Well, I think you could make an argument that it – you know, affects home field advantage. And we saw LSU and Oklahoma both lose at home in games that, look, they were they were both tight in the fourth quarter. And maybe if you got a packed house and they're making a lot of noise, it, it has a little bit more of an effect on the opponent and possibly could have swung things. I don't I don't want to say that that definitely would be the case because you know we we've seen these teams lose games before where where the stadium was full. But but certainly that's. Uh, a possibility, and so uh, as as much as we do miss that part of the game and and having the full atmosphere, it, it does open up uh, things to to maybe a, little, a few more upsets than we're used to seeing, and especially when you know ranked teams are playing at home, um, the the better team doesn't lose at home all that often. But um, when you know when the crowd uh, is is not there in the way they're used to having it, maybe they'll lose more often than they usually do, which will make for a, a more exciting sport this fall. And uh, who knows? I mean, you know, we we sit there and, and we react immediately after these games in the only way that we know how, which is you know based on what we've actually seen. But it's possible that uh, what we saw on Saturday that you know might be a, a sign of things to come. You know, not. Not just those two games, but you think about you know Kansas State having lost at home to Arkansas State and Iowa State having lost at home to Louisiana Lafayette, and and so you 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 put it all together, and it's like well you know what maybe there's a lot more of this to come, and by the time all is said and done, um, having a two-loss conference champion might be the norm. I, it's just hard to say. Now, Brett, I, I want to to kind of shift gears to the Big Ten and how this lack of fans. Uh, affects the Big Ten. Uh, specifically, which teams in the Big Ten do you think uh, have the best home field advantages, and which ones do you think could be hurt most? I mean, I, when you look at Ohio State, 
you got to think that team's good enough that they're going to be washing the floor with some other Big Ten teams, whether or not there are fans in the stands. But which teams do you think could have the, the biggest negative effect on their season because there aren't fans? Yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say because uh, so often people look at home record as a, a measurement of, of how good a team is at home. And usually the teams that have the best home records, if you take the time to look at the road records, it's the, it's the same teams that are at the top of that list too. So just good teams are good no matter where the game is played. And, and Ohio State, you mentioned, is a good example of that. So I wouldn't think it's going to have a whole lot of an effect on them. But, you know, I think, I think teams that are more likely to be in close games, that's, that's where it's really going to become a factor. And uh, so I mean, Nebraska is one that, that you would think would fall into that category just because of the amount of support they have. That said, has, has, uh, has Nebraska's home record been that great in recent years, even with, you know, the packed house behind them? Um, they certainly lost quite a few games at home. So, so maybe, maybe we make too, uh, too big of a deal out of it. Um, you know, as much as I would like to say, hey, you know what, Wisconsin has one of those great home field advantages, and they do, I, I hesitate to say that it, it makes a huge difference because they don't end up playing a lot of close games at home because a lot of times they're just better than the other team. So um, I, I, think, I, I think it's really where you would expect the games to be close uh, that, that that really becomes a factor. I, look, Iowa's a team that I – might kind of lean toward with this because I think about all the big home wins they've had in recent years. Um, now, obviously, the the, the one uh, against Ohio State uh, a few years ago was not close. It's not like you can say, "Oh, you know, the crowd helped them squeeze that one out" because it, it wasn't it wasn't close. But at the same time, there's no question their crowd is a big factor there, and uh, and and they are are playing in in more close games than than a team like Ohio State would. So. Uh, I, I think I think those are the types of teams that I think could be more impacted by it. ESPN College Football Insider Brad Edwards is with us, and Brad, you're right. There's just some sort of weird, spooky energy around uh, Kinnick Night games, where it feels like yeah. no, no matter how good the team going in is, uh, it's going to be a close game, and I was probably going to pull it out at the end. I, I can't explain that one. Uh, but Brad, I want to get back into this past weekend of college football that we saw. Which teams did you have on, and which teams really impressed you? Do you think could make some noise come uh, November, December? Yeah, you know, there's not a lot of impressing that goes on uh, because there, there's just so much rust in, in week one. Uh, obviously, Mississippi State was impressive just because they, they did so much more than you were expecting them to do. Um, so I would say outside of the upsets, and look, let me, let me just throw this out about Mississippi State. What, what I think I was most impressed with, uh, with their performance, it, it wasn't so much the way that they – piled up a bunch of yards on a defense that had, if, if I remember correctly, one starter out there on the field last Saturday who had, who had started the national championship game, which the previous game they had played. So it was clearly a different defense uh, and a very inexperienced defense that Mississippi State lit up. Uh, it was still impressive, but it, it to some degree should have been expected, maybe not quite to the level that it was, but, but LSU wasn't going to shut them down. Um, but but it was the way they wanted in that they had a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter, and they turned the ball over, you know, just twice in a hurry, and those turnovers led to LSU tying the game up. And it's so easy for a team that's a big underdog like that on the road 
to make a couple of big mistakes, blow a big lead, let the home team back in it, especially defending national champ, and all of a sudden have this, oh, here we go, we just blew our chance, and not recover from that, and end up losing by double digits. But the way that they responded to that drove right down the field, retook the lead, and then got the ball back, scored again, and, and won by double digits. To me, the way that they won it, facing that adversity in the fourth quarter, was what was so impressive. And then, you know, aside from that, I would say Virginia Tech was another team. You know, they had like 20-something guys out, uh, including like, uh, or I said, in addition to, uh, I think it was five assistant coaches. <laughs> and so, I mean, their, their whole their whole team was a mess because of COVID-related stuff. I, I, I heard someone uh, say uh, earlier today on a podcast that, uh, that uh, Justin Fuente – um, had had told them the day before that uh, they might not know for sure until the morning of the game whether it was going to be played because it was that in doubt because of their COVID situation. And, look, NC State is not a great team, but for for a team that had not played yet this season to go out there with as many of those things going against them as they had and and dominate the way they did, I think that was really impressive by Virginia Tech. Now, at the end of the day, are they any better than the second best team, you know, in the ACC? Best case scenario, no. But it was a it was a great start to the season for them. Brett, I want to go back to that uh, the Mississippi State LSU game. Uh, Mississippi State is our adoptive team for the SEC until the Huskers get playing uh, at the end of October. Uh, so I just want to ask you. I think a lot of people were excited to see what KJ Costello could do uh, under a Mike Leach offense and what Mike Leach could do in his first game at Mississippi State. But I don't think anyone was expecting 621 yards passing, an SEC record. Uh, that was ridiculous. So would you say that the SEC is on notice for this Mississippi State team for this year and in future years? Well, I would say they're on notice as far as they, they better be more prepared for this offense than LSU was. Um, now, is Mississippi State going to face less talented players on defense for a few games this season? Yes, they will. Will they face a defense that was less experienced than LSU was on Saturday? Probably not. So, I mean, that's about as easy as it's going to get for uh, for having a group of guys out there on defense who have never seen any of this stuff before. Not to mention, you know, that it's been so long since anyone ran this type of an offense in the SEC that none of the current players have ever seen it. Very few of the assistant coaches have seen it. And so the more of it that's on tape, you know, for teams to study, I mean, it's one thing to go back and look at Washington State. Uh, but to be able to to look at Mississippi State running it, to see what they're doing, because you, you, you watch any of their games, you hear the announcers talk over and over about how they they have basically seven or eight plays that they just that they just keep running. Um, so once you see it on tape, it's a little bit it's a little bit easier to know what to expect. It's still difficult to stop, but I would think the more games they play, the more prepared defenses are going to be for it. They're they're still going to put up a whole lot of yards and they're going to put up a lot of points. Um, but I think teams are still going to score a lot on them. And if you, if you look at Leach's track record, both at Texas Tech and Washington, Washington State, he's pulled big upsets before. The, the problem is, is that most seasons they'll turn around and they'll give them back by losing to someone that they shouldn't lose to. And, and that's, where, that's where I think everyone's kind of on watch for Mississippi State. I don't know if, it, you know, if it'll be this weekend, but uh, at, at some point, where they play Arkansas this weekend, which is obviously one of the worst teams in the conference. Um, but um, but that's the thing: can they consistently perform week in and week out without having a drop off? Because 
bottom line is, uh, even though they have a really good quarterback, and that's a big part of the battle these days in college football, and even though they recruit at a top 25 level nationally, they're still, I, I would say, probably about 10th in the conference as far as overall talent. So most games they play, they're not going to be as talented as the opponent. So they, they still have a, a hill to climb. Brad Edwards is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Brad, I, I want to turn this argument and go the other direction. Who, who disappointed you this past weekend? And I, I obviously want to start off uh, with a team that Nebraska knows a lot about, at least in years past. That's Oklahoma. I think there's a lot yeah. of Husker fans out there that enjoyed watching uh, Oklahoma drop one to Kansas State at home <laughs> on Saturday. Yeah, that was that was really surprising. To me, more surprising than LSU um, because Oklahoma, while they do have a, a freshman quarterback, um, they – you know, they didn't have the overall numbers missing from last year that LSU did, and, and they had already played a game. And so you, you and look, I mean, I can keep going. I mean, they were at home. Kansas State was depleted uh, numbers-wise because of the virus. And, and Oklahoma was up three touchdowns in the second half. Like, you put all that stuff together, and it seems inconceivable that they lost. But they did. And, and I, I think that we saw something that a, a lot of us had been saying in the off season. I, I think there's, there was a segment of people nationally who just don't want to doubt Lincoln Riley under any circumstances because he's been that good uh, as an offensive mind so far. Um, but, but we've all acknowledged, look, if there was ever an opportunity for a Lincoln Riley team to not be elite offensively, this would be it. I mean, to, to, to lose um, not just another starting quarterback – uh, but to go from from the experience of Jalen Hurts and also losing C.D. Lamb, they lost their top two running backs from last year. They lost some really good offensive linemen. Uh, to go from all that to having these new guys, and now for the first time in quite a while at Oklahoma, to have a quarterback with no starting experience going into the year, you know, it's set up to be one of those seasons that if they ever were going to struggle, and I, and I mean, put struggle in quotes by Oklahoma terms, this would be it. And in the second half of that game, there, there were certainly times where um, Spencer Rattler looked like a freshman quarterback. He had some bad throws. There were some times when he left the pocket before he really needed to, and, and that hurt them. Um, I, I think you could also say he was justified in maybe having that itch to leave the pocket early because he wasn't getting great pass protection. So put it all together, and I think it's pretty obvious that, that for the first time in a while, Oklahoma is good, but not nationally elite offensively. Um, maybe we'll be saying something different in another uh, another six games or so, but for now, I think they're a very beatable team, and they better be really careful this weekend, or they could be uh, 0-2 in conference. All right, Brad, we got about 30 seconds left, so it's probably going to be the last thought. Uh, what games are you looking forward to this next weekend? Yeah, I, I think the easy one is uh, is Auburn at Georgia because they're two top ten teams, and even though they're not in the same division, it's obviously a huge game. No one wants to be taking a conference loss this early uh, in this type of a season. And then uh, outside of that, I just I don't think there are that many teams that have the talent to give Alabama a run. A uh, and M is one of them that if they play well, they could. So. I think that's that's one to keep an eye on. You know, will will that game be close, and will Alabama get pushed at all? It's Brad Edwards, ESPN College Football Insider. Brad, it was good getting caught up with you this week. Uh, thank you for uh, for joining me today, and uh, we'll get caught up next week. All right. You got it. Thanks, Elijah. Yep. Stay safe. 
Cosmos, Brad Edwards uh, joining us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up after the break, going to have some Husker basketball thoughts with Jacob Padilla. Excited to get caught up with Jacob. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. It's Elijah Herbal uh, here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, a Wednesday edition. And uh, this song feels pretty fitting. Ice Cube, it was a good day. Today was a good day as the Huskers getting back into pads. Uh, it's also a good day because we're going to get to talk some Husker basketball with Jacob Padilla. Jacob, just kind of in a, a basketball mood today. The NBA Finals start tonight. Uh, we got some press availability from some Husker basketball players this morning. So uh, how are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm feeling good, like you said. <laughs> Uh, good time of year, fall. We got some sports starting back up again. We got the finals starting tonight. Um, we're finally getting a chance to talk to uh, athletes and coaches at Nebraska. So, kind of settling, it's starting to feel a little, little bit more like uh, normal life as, as much as we can get to right now. And it's after the, the six months of pretty much no sports, we're now getting NBA finals, NHL finals just wrapped up, all coinciding with football season coming together. Uh, even baseball postseason, we got what, eight postseason baseball games today. Almost feels like sports overload. Uh, are you enjoying this right now, or do you kind of wish it was back to normal where you have everything spaced out? Because, I mean, it, it's a ton to talk about. Yeah, well, I, I'm not much of a baseball or hockey guy anyway, so yeah, neither uh, am I. right now it's kind of perfect for me just with the basketball overload um, that we got with the bubble games and everything going on there. Um, we've got the WNBA semis just kind of wrapped up. We're heading to the finals over there. So um, the basketball fans, a good time of the year, especially with kind of football starting up, and but not totally, so you can still kind of balance things. So um, I think it's perfect for me uh, just for what I follow, but I'm sure there are some others out there that have, been going crazy trying to follow everything yeah i'm with you i'm not a huge baseball and and nhl guy Uh, i follow my teams and uh, i also umpire baseball games summertime so i guess i kind of have to follow it there uh but yeah i'm with you not not big on following the the pro sports there Uh, but with basketball uh, especially Husker basketball. We're, we're looking forward uh, to a, a season of uncertainty with so much roster turnover. But I want to start with uh, the the non-conference bubble tourney that the Huskers are going to be hosting. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, have we heard any more news about who could be involved in this uh, this tournament here in Lincoln? No, and um, I don't. And I think it's still kind of up in the air whether or not they can pull this off. Um, I, I don't. It's definitely not set in stone. Mm-hmm. That's what they want to do. And they're, they, they started to reach out to, to schools, uh, I believe. They're trying to get this thing set up. Um, so that, that's good. Like, they're moving forward. A lot of schools are kind of working really hard on scheduling right now. And we're seeing some things start to come together. We see now what the events that Duke's hosting. They're just bringing in a few mid-low major teams. Um, we've got some teams that are starting to commit to um, some of the events in Vegas, and so um, things are starting to move forward. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to hear something uh, sometime soon here. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine what it's like being those uh, director of basketball operations and uh, coaches and everybody involved with trying to put these uh, put these schedules together um, w- with everything going on right now. Yeah, Jacob, uh, when you look specifically at the Husker basketball team, uh, we had media availability this morning for two players, Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen. Uh, and, and after the media availability yesterday for the, the Husker defensive coaches in football, tomorrow we have Husker offense. 
uh, the offensive coaches and players. Uh, and today we had Husker basketball, so just a ton to talk about. Uh, but when we look at this, uh, this the media session this morning, why do you think that it was Kobe Webster and Teddy Allen who, who were taking questions from the media? Are we kind of seeing uh, leaders start to form from this Husker basketball team already? Yeah, uh, definitely. And that's kind of what I wrote about for my Wednesday morning column today leading into this. And that was only reinforced just based on the, the conversations we had, what, what, they, what they told us today. Um, th- these are the guys that stepped forward when they had their um, Black Lives Matter uh, demonstration um, last month. These are the ones that stepped forward and really kind of uh, delivered the team message. And these are the first two guys to speak to the media. So it seems like all indications are these guys are the ones that are really kind of uh, grabbing on to those leadership roles and um, really embracing kind of the vocal side of it. And with Kobe, uh, Kobe Webster, it's not too surprising. I mean, he's kind of stepping into that Hanif Cheatham role as the uh, grad transfer experienced uh, upperclassman who's only going to be here for one year, but has been there and done it. He's been a three-year starter, and he's a point guard on top of all that. And when you've got a vocal um, kind of leader at that point guard spot, that, don't, that only makes things better for you on and off the court. So that's not too surprising. It is interesting, I think, um, that Teddy Allen has stepped into this role. And he even said it himself that he's not, nor, not na- a natural vocal leader, but um, he's always been a guy that's worked hard um, in terms of basketball, especially this last year, kind of um, with everything that happened to him at Wichita State. He kind of just locked himself in the gym and, uh, just worked real hard last year to kind of get things back on track. And I think he's carried that over to Nebraska. And anytime one of your hardest workers um, can, uh, can step up and be more vocal, I think that's good for the team. And that's what Teddy's tried to do. He said he's trying to play his part. Um, there are a lot of guys that aren't necessarily as vocal on the team. And so um, you, you need those guys to step up, and he's willing to be that guy. And I think they'll, they'll get some help, too. I think Derek Walker is a guy that is – certainly vocal in practices and um and he's a guy that's been around he's been in a winning program at Tennessee he's played in the NCAA tournament um you've got Thoria Dorby Arnison who's an upperclassman and um he's the only in the longest tenured Husker and he was one of the guys that talked to the media last year most often just uh, in the midst of all the team struggles he was one of the few guys it was basically him and Cheatham that were there almost every week every other week that stepped up to the to the podium or after practice and, and spoke with us. So um, I think this team will have a chance to have some pretty good player leadership, um, especially considering everything they've gone through with such a unique offseason that these guys have uh, stepped up and taken that role, I think will serve them well going forward. Jacob Bedillo is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Jacob, I think a lot of Husker fans are expecting a, a year two jump under Hoiberg, a pretty disappointing first year uh, for Coach, Ho- Coach Hoiberg, excuse me. Uh, last season, uh, but with so much new talent coming in, uh, there were a lot of departures last season, but a lot of new talent coming in, uh, that's for certain. Uh, does, d- just getting your read, I-, I want you to kind of read minds here, I guess. Do you think that the coaching staff feels that they have an upgraded roster this season? Oh, definitely, I think so. And um, we'll, we'll still, a lot of these guys aren't necessarily proven that they can be um, high-level contributors at this level, but uh, at the same time, these guys have a lot more experience than what we saw last year just in terms of um, playing at the Division One high major level. Um, the guys that set out last year, even the JUCO guys have had experience when they were younger playing at this level. So it's not like you're bringing in a bunch of mid-major 
guys that uh, or JUCO guys and guys that don't have any experience. And last year was kind of their first chance of the big time. These guys have all kind of played under the bright lights. They've all got that experience. And physically, um, you look at this, this roster is completely different than last year's just from a physical standpoint in terms of the, the length and size and versatility that they're going to be able to throw out there. Um, whereas last year, you basically had four guards and an undersized center, and that's what you were stuck with all season long. This year, they've got more interchangeable pieces. They've got more length on the perimeter. They've got a legitimate stretch four and lap man now that they didn't really have last year. Um, so we'll, we'll see kind of just uh, how good can Teddy Allen be as kind of that, that go-to scorer. How good are these guys coming off the red shirt? Um, can Delano Banton uh, make that leap and be more of a consistent producer, whereas he was a, more of a flash guy as a freshman at Western Kentucky? So that's going to be the question is, like, how good can these guys consistently be? But in terms of kind of on paper and going into the season, they've got a lot more of the the things they need to compete in the Big Ten than they did last year. Jacob, I think we know that with Fred Hoiberg's offense, uh, we're going to have a lot of three-pointers and a lot of shots at the rim next year uh, because that's just how Fred Hoiberg offenses work. But with with all these new pieces, what do you think the offensive attack will look like? I don't want you to to pick a starting five because I think that's – pretty much impossible at this point um maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong there uh, but just who do you think some of the the key contributors are going to be the, the top eight guys if you will yeah that's uh, that's kind of interesting too is you've got the depth of there's a lot of different guys that could end up kind of cracking that top five six seven eight um that we still um haven't seen yet um i think obviously i think story Thorby and arson he's shown last year that he can be a useful piece in fred hoiberg's system and he's a senior so he's going to be in there. Um, and I think coming off the redshirt year, Delano Banton, uh, Teddy Allen spoke really highly of his ability, especially at the point guard spot as a 6'9", kind of wing defensively that can handle the point on offense. Um, he, he's going to play a big role. I think Teddy's going to come in right away, and I wouldn't be surprised if he led the team in scoring. And Fred Hoiberg and other people have talked really highly of Latman. And he was one of the guys that I wasn't quite sure about Coming out of JUCO, he kind of didn't really do much at TCU as a freshman. Um, went and had a, a good junior college season last year, but um, it sounds like they're really high on him and his ability to shoot. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if he's a starter. And then you've got kind of the three-headed monster at center. We'll figure out who's going to play where with Derek Walker, uh, Ivan Wojdrago, and uh, freshman Eduardo Andre. Um, so, and... <laughs> Then you got Kobe Webster too. Kind of the, the big question now is uh, Trey McGowan's and his waiver uh, claim. That, um, Hoiberg said they they were sending that in, so now we're kind of in the wait and see mode. Um, I think they they feel highly, uh, or they, they've spoken highly about him. They're, they're excited about what he's going to be able to do for the program. The question is just now when will get, they get the go ahead um, for him to be eligible this season and whether or not that's going to come. So he's got a lot of pieces that he's going to figure out. Um, it's going to be typical Fred Hoiberg system, a lot of the driving, a lot of driving kick, uh, create open open threes uh, in the half court, I think. There's an emphasis on finishing a lot better than they did last year, and that's something Kobe Webster talked about today. Because you look at last year's team, and it played like a Fred Hoiberg team. They did a really good job of doing what he wanted them to do. They just weren't talented enough to actually – be successful with it and to, to finish those plays. They weren't, they, they got blocked more than any team in the country 
and they did not shoot the ball well from the perimeter outside of a few um, kind of hot streaks. So I think this team has the length and athleticism to finish, and they've got some shooters out there. How good they're going to be as shooters, we'll kind of have to see. Uh, a lot of these guys have been streaky throughout their careers, but the baseline level of shooting talent, I think, is higher than it was last year. Jacob, got about time for uh, maybe 10 seconds here. Uh, Lakers heat starts tonight, NBA Finals. Who you got and in how many games? I'll go Lakers in six. I think Miami's going to really scrap and fight, but LeBron and AD is going to be too much. I like it. Lakers in six from Jacob Padilla. You heard it here first. Jacob, thanks for joining me today, and uh, stay safe out there. We'll, we'll catch up sometime soon, all right? All right, sounds good. It was Jacob Padilla here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coming up after this, my thoughts on the NBA Finals. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. You just heard the ways that you can get involved with the show today. We're, uh, we're wrapping up a Wednesday. You're going to finish up with some thoughts on the NBA Finals. You can call the show if you got any thoughts. 402-466-3776, 402-466-ESPN. I am producing and hosting at the same time today. Uh, so I, I would prefer if you call during a break. I can try to get you in uh, in the last segment there. Uh, but I do want your thoughts. You can also tweet at me, at Herbal Essences, and uh, I'll get responded to you on Twitter. Or if you have any uh, important questions, I can talk about them on the show as well. You can also find the show on Twitter at ESPN Lincoln. That's where we're going to be posting the interviews today. You just heard from Jacob Padilla with all his Husker basketball thoughts, uh, as well as uh, his quick prediction for the NBA Finals. I just heard Brad Edwards this hour give some college football thoughts. Last hour, you heard from Mike Babcock as he discussed uh, the importance of stopping the run for the Huskers in 2020. That should be up now on the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page. All those interviews, uh, again, will also be available via our podcast. You can find that on iTunes at ESPN Lincoln or on HaleVarsity.com. A lot of options for you to catch the show today if you missed it. And and as I said, I want to get into the NBA Finals. Uh, this is something I'll be watching for sure tonight. Uh, game one between the Lakers and the Heat. It should be a good series. Uh, I really do think the Lakers have the advantage. I'll get into my prediction next segment. Uh, but this Lakers team, I mean, I mean, what can't you say about them? Anthony Davis now in his first finals. He, he has been a revelation for uh, this this Lakers team. They missed the playoffs last year. Uh, they got Anthony Davis on board, and, uh, and they're just playing otherworldly right now they are clearly the best team in the west uh maybe the best team in basketball right now we'll find out over the next two weeks or so uh but when you talk about the lakers you got to talk about lebron james lebron james lebron james lebron james lebron james best player to ever do it in my opinion i I know people are going to be angry at me maybe that's what you'll tweet about me uh about is that uh i think lebron james is better than michael jordan and i do lebron james in the past decade has been to nine NBA Finals. Won three of them, I know. Three for nine is not great. But made it to nine the only year he missed the NBA Finals was last year when he was out hurt. He's going to a big market. He's going to LA. Trying to carry on the the legacy of Kobe this year. You've seen them wearing the, the black Mamba jerseys in the playoffs in honor of Kobe Bryant. They're rallying call, if you will. This postseason has been Mamba mentality. For Kobe. LeBron James wants to honor Kobe Bryant. Anthony Davis wants to honor Kobe Bryant. That entire Lakers team wants to honor what Kobe did for the game and what Kobe did for the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't know how you can bet against it, but it's not going to come down to just LeBron James and Anthony Davis. There are so many pieces 
on that team that, that need to step up. Danny Green has not been the shooter that he was in the regular season so far in the playoffs. He's going to have to find that shooting stroke. You, you look back at the Western Conference Finals when the Lakers took down my Nuggets. Uh, unsurprisingly, actually, they took them down in five. Can't say I was surprised by the result. I was hopeful for my Nuggets, but I, I kind of knew how good this, this Lakers team was. In that series, it was Rajon Rondo stepping up. He, he found his form of old. Rajon Rondo looks confident. Uh, there was a, a time in, uh, I believe, game three of that series when he had three consecutive steals. Three consecutive possessions, three consecutive steals for uh, Rajon Rondo leading to runouts. Rajon Rondo stepped up in that series. Who didn't? It was Kyle Kuzma. That was a guy that a lot of Lakers pundits thought would have to step up for this, uh, this Lakers team to make a run at the finals. He hasn't been great in the playoffs. Other guys have stepped up. But Kyle Kuzma has to step up for the Lakers in this series against the Heat. He's going to be in a place where he can have the ball in his hands. You got to assume that it's going to be LeBron James guarding Jimmy Butler, you'd guess. Anthony Davis guarding Bam Adebayo. I'll get to the Heat in a second. But Kyle Kuzma, coming off the bench as a sixth man, is going to have to step up for this Lakers team. You also need somebody at center who can shut down Bam Adebayo. Dwight Howard did a pretty good job roughing up uh, Nikola Jokic in the Western Conference Finals. He got a lot of fouls. That was, I'm sure, the game plan for the Lakers. Make sure that, that Jokic felt the presence of Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee as well. JaVale McGee struggled in the Western Conference Finals. I, th- I think both those guys, though, are going to be going up against uh, a smaller center in Bam Adebayo, and they have a good shot uh, to impose their presence. Lakers are a good team. We'll see how good they are when they go up against this, this scrappy Heat team. Uh, but I want to get into the Heat for a second as well because I don't want to discount what they've done. They swept in the first round. They beat the Bucks in five. And then they beat the Celtics in six to advance to the finals. The pattern would tell you that they're going to beat the, the Lakers in seven. And I wouldn't count them out. Too many guys on their team have been counted out in their careers. I'm going to start off with Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero had an incredible Game 3 performance against the Celtics. Just incredible. 37 points? Ridiculous. The guy's a rookie. 14th overall pick out of Kentucky. He, he mentioned in a press conference that he can name all 13 guys that were drafted ahead of him. If you like guys who play with a chip on their shoulder, that is Tyler Hero to a T. He went to high school in Wisconsin. And uh, I know Wisconsin is so known for their elite basketball talent every single year. It's a joke. This guy looks to be one of the future stars of the NBA at the moment. Jimmy Butler, who's, who's known to be uh, what's one of the hardest workers in the NBA, just raves about Tyler Hero's work ethic. Tyler Hero committed to Wisconsin initially. As a high schooler, he decommitted and committed to Kentucky. And throughout his entire senior season, he received death threats. How ridiculous is that? The man received death threats for where he wanted to go attend college at, at the University of Kentucky. He was told, you'll never play there. You're only a white kid who can shoot. You can't play basketball. Well, he went and proved the doubters wrong. Went and played at Kentucky, got drafted, 14th overall pick, and people thought, well, in the NBA, you got to improve your defense. You got to improve your ball handling. You're just a, a white kid who can shoot. Guess what? He's done it. Tyler Hero is a star uh, emerging for the Heat. You also have Duncan Robinson. You remember him playing at the University of Michigan? He started out D2, transferred up to Michigan. And uh, you, you don't hear of many guys who go graduate from college and go make it in the NBA. This guy played through his senior season at Michigan. And uh, there was a, a funny exchange on Twitter last week as a, a writer for The Ringer, Ryan Rosillo, I believe, uh, posted a, uh, a text message conversation he had with Duncan Robinson where Duncan Robinson said, hey, my basketball career is winding down. I'm a senior at the University of Michigan, and I, I want to get some insight into your career in sports media. 
Well, look at him now, three years later, and he's starting in the NBA Finals. His career was not winding down. His career was just getting started. People were counting him out. Another guy who's just a white kid who can shoot. The University of Michigan. You're a senior. You're too old for this. The NBA likes one and dones now. Well, Duncan Robinson has went and made a name for himself. Jimmy Butler, he was counted out of Philadelphia. The Philadelphia 76ers traded him because they said he was a locker room cancer. And, and they said you couldn't build a winning team around Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was not the cornerstone of a franchise. Well, Jimmy Butler has done just that with the Heat. He's become a cornerstone for that team. He's a leader. And he's leading this young team to an NBA Finals with the chance to go beat the legendary Los Angeles Lakers with two of the best players in the NBA on their roster. Last guy I want to talk about is Bam Adebayo. He's a part of this new wave of centers that are hitting the NBA, the, the Jokic types. who They get the ball in the post and they facilitate. It's not back-to-the-basket score. They're passing. They're scoring. They're doing everything. Bam Adebayo is just that. The Celtics could not match that. They could not match Bam Adebayo's skill in the post with his passing and just the way that he can run the offense. I I think the Lakers just experienced that last round with Nikola Jokic, uh, but if Bam Adebayo steps up, you don't know what could happen in this series. Bam Adebayo is the wild card to me. I'll give you my uh, my prediction for this uh, NBA Finals. Lakers heat. That's coming up after this as we'll wind down uh, a Wednesday edition of Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HaleVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Had a fun show today. Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal filling in for Chris Schmidt this week. Uh, we talked with Mike Babcock back in hour one. Mike Schuhart joined us back in hour one as well, Wilderness Ridge Golf Pro. We also heard thoughts from Brad Edwards this hour, as well as Jacob Padilla. Got into a, a lot of uh, topics uh, as Husker football is uh, is coming back. It's it's fun to to discuss padded practices and, and all that. But then Husker basketball is right around the corner as well. Uh, and, and after a, a painful last six months, it's it's nice to get some sports back. Just want to quickly remind you about our friends over at West Blue Realty. Uh, if you're looking to make a move in 2020, you got to give the real estate professionals over at West Blue Realty a call today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities, and they'll help make your next move a smooth one. For a limited time only, mention Hale Varsity, and West Blue Realty will provide you with up to $1,000 upon the purchase, the closing of your next home purchase. And if you're, uh, if you're looking to sell agricultural land, well, they do that too. They have an experienced auctioneer and can handle anything from live auctions, sealed bids, and even general land listings. They've sold land in and around Lancaster counties, including Odo and Seward counties uh, this year alone, so they can handle a large radius for you. You can call Tom Luby or Kelly Hofschneider for more details. You can visit them at westbluerealty.com. They're also located down at 1120 K Street, Suite 200, and you got to ask yourself, before you make your next move, what can West Blue do for you? And remember, it pays to work with West Blue Realty. Before we go, got to give you my NBA Finals prediction. Uh, game one is tonight at 8 o'clock. Uh, there's too much baseball going on, and I promise I'll get into some postseason baseball thoughts as we get a little bit closer to the World Series. Uh, I'm not discounting that at all. Uh, baseball is important, and I love postseason baseball. Uh, but with eight games in one day... Not sure I can get into it, but NBA Finals, I can do that. Heat-Lakers game one. I just laid it out for you. Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, the supporting pieces around him who are honestly just as important as LeBron and AD in this finals. 
you don't want to bet against LeBron James. But people have been betting against this Heat team for a while. Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. None of these guys were supposed to be stars in the NBA. None of these guys were supposed to make an NBA Finals. None of these guys were ever supposed to go and beat LeBron James. So I'm struggling to bet against him. If I'm betting with my heart, I'd say Heat in seven. I don't think the Heat have any chance unless it goes to seven games. This Lakers team is too good. But if I'm betting with my, with my mind, with, with my brain, and not with my heart, the Lakers team just makes too much sense. Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee are two physical presences in the paint, which is something that Bam Adebayo really hasn't had to face in the playoffs. When they were playing the Celtics, Kimball Walker, he wasn't himself. Jason Tatum had to be a one-man show. The Heat were the better team. But when they're playing this Lakers, this Lakers team, Anthony Davis is one of the best in the world. He's not going to have an off series. LeBron James is one of the best, if not the best, to ever do it. And he's not going to have an off series in the NBA Finals, that's for sure. LeBron James has been here too many times. I, I got to go with the Lakers. Lakers in six, Lakers in five. That's that's what I'm I'm kind of questioning here. I'll go Lakers in six. Uh, this this Heat team's going to be juiced up. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy buckets. Uh, he's going to get his, but the Lakers get it done. Lakers in six. Lakers win the series 4-2. That's my prediction. You heard it here. We'll, we'll see if I'm right here in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning in today. Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. I'll be back tomorrow with Damon Barr.